Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade-filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. I'm William Horsepuncher Johnson. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, I've heard of a lot of porn names in the world, but Will, you're just bringing it today. Okay. You know, mine's Nipper Kennedy, you know, your, your, your first pet in the street you grew up on, but horse puncher is going to win. Okay. I think I win that because the first pet and the street I grew up on is Snowball Avalon. And I feel like that's. Holy shit. That's the best porn name ever. Ladies and gentlemen, this is, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, this is Barbara Vandenberg coming in here early here for a second. We're going to introduce her in a moment, but while we're on porn names. This is a good place to be. Uh, Folks, I never expected this to be in the intro. Mitch, good luck chopping this up. (laughs) Folks, we're damn glad to have you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is all for tantrum's sake. We're shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love, watch the porn you watch, have the name you have. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. And hot and steamy in this Western bed, we're here to talk about The Power of the Dog this week from director Jane Campion. Um, It has been recommended to us by our guest, who you've heard as Snowball Avalon this evening. But let's talk about Barbara and learn some more about her. Will, you want to introduce Barbara? Yes. So first of all, uh, I uh, met Barbara through uh, what I guess my origin story of podcasting and getting into the film community was the BS Movies podcast. And Barbara's always on there at the end of the year, and she's like in 12 straight episodes doing like the best movies of the year. And I, I was listening. I was like, that sounds like a really cool gal. So I followed her on Twitter and uh, we, we once upon a time in the, in the before times, we, we were actually going to do a, a presentation on Blade Runner 2049 before COVID hit and it's never recovered. Uh, but she is, uh, she, it says here, her biography is when her nose isn't stuck in a book. She oversees book coverage for USA Today, amongst many other things. I'll let her explain some of the other things she does. That's why we wanted to have her on. She's also a huge Jane Campion fan. Uh, and as well as, I don't know if Paul Thomas Anderson, but she will be on with another episode on Phantom Thread, which I might think is her favorite movie. I, I'm not, I can't remember, but I think Ooh. it is. So we have her on for both of these. But uh, welcome to the podcast. You've been one of my dream guests for since we started. That's right. <laughs> That makes me sad for you. <laughs> that's that's peak, as high y'all. as your aspirations go. Snowball um, Avalon is our peak right here. Snowball Avalon is as good as it's getting. Hello. Um, yes. Hi. Thanks for having me. I am the books editor for USA Today and uh, occasional film critic. I uh, reviewed films for many years at the Arizona Republic, uh, which is the major daily newspaper in Phoenix, Arizona. And I just watch movies and have very strong opinions about them. That's <laughs> pretty much my credentials. <laughs> no, you're you're awesome because like what I'll do is I will I will have an opinion that I that I'll feel pretty good about. And I will like I'll be ready to like put it out there in the world. Like <laughs> let's go let's go with one like let's go with a simple one that's gonna be controversial, but like I think I might have was about to tweet out when King Richard was coming out. I was like, you know what? That Will Smith, that's a really good performance. I like his performance in that. And then right before I hit send on tweet, I would see Barbara 
go like King Richard is a pile of shit and Will Smith doesn't deserve anything. And I'm just like, oh my God. And that I just don't know what the fuck he was doing in that movie. I don't know what accent they allowed him to have. I had yeah. questions. I had questions. Okay. Yeah, I so I that has stayed in drafts, and I have been scared to. <laughs> I have been scared to to do that you opinion should, ever since. You so. should drop that tweet like next April, like at a random <laughs> random day. We're like, hey, you know that Curiantry movie, guys? You know, Oscars, the season, everything's over, and. It just drops. It'd be hilarious. Well, he might win, which which will be, I'm sure that will be the the hot topic of discussion. Mm-hmm. That race we, is we, pretty we'll wide hand. open. It's a very busy field, too. Let me tell you. Man, we'll talk about it for sure, for sure. Um, so welcome, Barbara. Our format is this. The recommending lover and our guest in this case will go first. They will get five uninterrupted minutes to shower their praise and state their high-minded case. The hater, and this might be haters will follow with their own five uninterrupted minute segments of their own to present their counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth. After that, we'll open it up for 15, but likely 95 minutes of shared discussion where the hissy fit really gets chippy and we have great profanity and more porn names. So folks, um, slap on some chaps and let's go, right? Here we go, right? Ratchet? It's not going to take me 95 minutes to verbally beat you guys to death. No, it's good. This might be an honor. Like, we might get out of here in the 15 we always advertise and never do. Yeah, we might want to quit. We might tap out. Yeah, let me get the bell a little closer here. Oh, man. Yeah, I got a towel. (laughs) Mickey, get me. Cut me, Mick. You know, stuff like that. Cut me, Mick. All right. Uh, Barbara, you are first. Thank you so much for having me. on your podcast to discuss my favorite movie of 2021 and it isn't even close uh jane campion's the power of the dog it is a rapturously lavishly shot film set in 1925 montana do i have to like do i give the summary or just say my opinion (laughs) if people need a summary they shouldn't be listening to this show okay well i'm gonna ruin the whole fucking movie so if you haven't seen it just move along okay so what i love about this movie is that you go into it with a certain set of expectations or at least i did right like i thought i was getting into especially having seen all of jane campion's previous films was very much expecting this to be a longing uh, sort of forbidden love story set amongst cowboys in period Montana, right? Like, really thought it was going to be a kind of broke back mountain forbidden love situation. Um, because you've got you've got Benedict Cumberbatch playing a cattle rancher who is very disdainful towards women. Obviously, he he keeps waxing rhapsodic about this cowboy who sort of trained him in the trade called um, Bronco Henry. And you come to suspect over the course of the movie, and then, you know, it's, it's sort of a little bit confirmed that they had sort of a forbidden romantic entanglement when Benedict Cumberbatch's character, Phil, was a much younger man. And he is being incredibly cruel at first to this to the teen, very willowy, effeminate, fey teenage son of his brother's wife, whom he hates. He despises that his brother has gotten married. He seems to extremely hate women. And he's treating this boy with a lot of cruelty. And, you know, you feel very much that it is him sort of rejecting his own impulses, that he's rejecting his own homosexual um, 
leanings that he really wants to to be in a, a kind of same sex you know homosexual romance the way that he was with Bronco Henry when he was younger um and the movie is very much playing off these expectations that he's going to seduce um his brother's wife's son that this is a forbidden longing romance sort of thing and the way that Jane Campion shoots her movies i mean she's such a romantic director the the vistas and the sweeping landscapes and the natural lighting that she uses and it's just like the the textures of her films are just i feel like they're rubbing against my skin as i'm watching the movie she's such a romantic filmmaker that i really thought i was watching a romance and really i was watching a murder mystery or a murder story and i i feel like she's really really playing on viewer expectations in this film so that when really the entire time the teenage son is plotting to kill this like romantically damaged man with anthrax it sort of hits you out of left field you're like what the fuck movie was i watching this entire time um and i just got through re-watching it for the first time today um since i had seen it that first time and i it was a little scared to rewatch it because i thought maybe it would lose something on the second viewing because it's not quite a twist in the first movie she shows you very openly if you know what to look for, what's going on. Um, and it, she just like is masterful, masterfully playing off viewer expectations. Um, but no, it was like even better the second time because you could really appreciate the craftsmanship that went into the filmmaking and, and storytelling. Um, it, it didn't feel like a trick or a twist. It felt like something that was right there in the open if you just knew what to look for. Um, I find it an incredibly dark film. I love movies. And we'll talk about this when we talk about Phantom Thread later for another episode. I'm pretending like this isn't a podcast medium for another episode, but like, I love movies that are able to balance really difficult tones, right? And she is balancing a couple incredibly delicate, difficult tones. She's making a very dark murder Western that also feels like a very romantic period piece of cinema and it's just like just these impossible it's an impossible tone to strike and and i'm just kind of in awe that she was able to do it and it was by far the movie that i had the most just raw pleasure looking at this year um i think it's a masterpiece of storytelling that's my five minutes you can both go be wrong now (laughs) we can both go be wrong now Oh man, you had me. Hey, you had me at rubbing up against skin. I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> right, Will, your half star puts you next. Well, you know, I just I just reread uh, my review um, on Letterboxd, and I got to say, I was a little harsh on my first. I actually gave it three stars upon first analysis, and uh, what I seem to have said here was. Uh, it seemed, I don't know if it's because I came off of Dune and a couple other films where I was kind of in awe of the visual power, but feeling kind of a lack of caring for the characters. Um, so I, I guess I had said at the time that we've hit the who cares era of cinema. So many spectacles with close to or absolutely zero emotional weight. Um, I did say it was a gorgeous film, but I said that this does suffer the same fate. I don't know if... I've I've risen my opinion of the film has risen over time, either seeing Barbara's reviews of it or or listening to conversations about it. 
uh, online or you know uh, from other podcasts or what have you, um, it is something that sticks with you, and that that is that is very powerful. And I I wonder if a second viewing would be uh, beneficial to me or not. Uh, but in terms of what I can confirm is yes, it is a gorgeous film. Uh, Campion, I, I love a lot. Um, my favorite film of hers is in the cut, uh, actually. Um, and uh, I, I like how that plays with a lot of expectations, much like this film does. Uh, a lot of people are focusing either positively or negatively on the homosexual aspects about how uh, I've had some interesting conversations with people who thought that it was a little, um, uh, I don't know if this is the right word, is regressive a word, uh, but uh, how it didn't really seem that it's helping the narrative that there's there's these people that are out there containing who they are inside because of shame, guilt, whatever. I mean, I'm okay with it in this context because this is not only 1920s America, uh, but this is a very specific masculine time period, you know, where, um, as you can tell with um, the the son of Kirsten Dunst, I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, the Cody Smith McPhee character, um, he is kind of ostracized for being himself, which is everything that Benedict Cumberbatch's character, um, it, you know, wishes he could be. You know, he's the one who has to put on the very <laughs> aggro hetero mask and say, "I am the masculine man, and I will own everything in front of me, including the land and the people." Um, whereas uh, Cody Smith McPhee is very much a free spirit doing his own thing, um, and, and I and I like that. I I do think that. I, I know you said it wasn't a twist necessarily. I I liked the pitch black ending in my opinion because, uh, but I also kind of went towards the who cares mentality because I'm kind of asked to pick between a tortured, horrible man in Phil Burbank, Benedict Cumberbatch, who gives an astounding performance, um, which I think should win. I hope it wins because he's a great actor uh, and uh, it was a fantastic performance. Um, and then you do kind of find out that, uh, Cody Smith McPhee, and if anyone wants to tell me his, his name in the movie, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll stop calling him by his full name, but, um, he kind of turns out to be a little weird and vindictive and, you know, some people have read it as petty because he's just like, Hey, you were mean to my mom that one time in the restaurant and now I'm going to make you pay for it. Now I know it's a little bit more complex than that, a little deeper than that, but, um, you know, I, I did like that Campion turned it to the point where it was like you you are expecting it to go certain places. You're expecting, um, you're expecting Phil Burbank to soften, uh, especially when you find out some of his deeper secrets, and you're expecting him to eventually. It's it's kind of the hallmark ABC storytelling movie that you expect when you get, you know, oh well, you know he's tough on he's tough on the kid, but they find each other, they find each other, they, they find the time to love each other, you know. And that definitely is not the case. This movie, like many other things, uh, like many other Campion works, goes in a whole different direction. And I, and I did really love the ending because it was uh, very pitch black, dark, um, but gave me a feeling of emptiness that I, I, I need a little bit more. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's in the times we're in or I just uh, I'm having trouble connecting with films with extremely flawed characters. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a flawed character, but in the end, I was kind of left a little adrift by the fact that in the end, I had 
really no one to latch onto as a good person. And I don't know if I'm just getting older or what, but that's just where I am emotionally with it. All right. All right. All right. Um, I don't know if I can put fancier words to it, but I'll, I'll see where I'm going here. No, I admit I'm kind of where Will is, where this was, it's not as aimless of a fog as like really slow cinema. Slow cinema is, this is definitely a smokier variety because you're out here with a Western and, and doing rougher and tougher things. But, you know, and there's definitely a, a sect of, you know, super duper cinephiles out there that, that welcome this whole approach of, of the slow boil and the slow burn and, and there, there's, there's, there's an air there easily to be impressed at. You know, the uh, Ari Wegner's cinematography is fantastic. Johnny Greenwood's, you know, um, you know, slight score is very effective where it needs to be. I think it's better than what he did in Spencer. And, uh, but there's still something about it where, you know, it may not be a fog, it may not be a smoke, but I'm still sitting there. And I say to my review, I say I'm still sitting here squinting, kind of coughing and wandering astray because it's kind of blurry. Some of it's the time jumps, some of it's the the character levels that Will's talking about. Um, I'm not an expectation guy. I, I didn't come into this movie, uh, you know, with with built up expectations. I read the premise and that was it. I I did not read the book. Um, I admit, humble brag, I got the red carpet treatment from Netflix to watch this in Los Angeles with at the headquarters and had a Q and A with uh, Campion and Cumberbatch and Dunst and and Plemons afterwards and all that, which I was well hung over for the next day. And, but no, the movie in, in, in this purest setting for me was still something that just felt lost for me. And I, I, I think too, a second viewing could help a little bit, but I found myself much in the same place as well. I got to a point where I'm like, I, all right, I can respect the slow burn. I can respect the, the great beauty that's there. But at the same time, I get to it at the end, and I'm like, eh, all right, that's we're just going to go there, and and that's the only, you know, you're mad, like Will said, you know, you're mad at my mom for one thing, so let me, you know, take my dear sweet time to get back at you in in a severe way, and I equate that in in a couple of ways to being a fascinating piece of menace. You know, I I I spoke about it in my review where I talked about the two kinds of damage that menace can come from. There's the loud version and the quiet version. And Benedict Cumberbatch definitely kind of comes up as the loud version. You know, he, you know, just his admonishments and his, you know, his pushy nature and his, his toughness that we we learn is more of a guise than anything. And the way he talks about, you know, Bronco Henry, which to me feels like uh, a nicer version of the Bill Brasky skit from Saturday Live. You know, that old bit, you know, where they all talk about their coworker. But you know, Cumberbatch comes at it with a really amazing body language where when he wants to shot, he can shot. But when he's not doing all that, he still just looks like this quiet, you know, all wound up in chaps and fur. So um, but he's got an abruptness that comes out vocally and physically. That is that's really fascinating and a fantastic performance from Cumberbatch for him. And then you pair him or you pair that loud menace with the quiet menace that we that we learn by the end is kind of, you know, percolating all movie and and comes out of a very daring performance from Cody Smith McPhee. I think he's the linchpin of this movie. If you don't have him, you know, really selling the not just the effeminate part, but also the the capability of doing some quiet menace, this movie doesn't go anywhere other than just, you know, pushing admonishment back onto to Cumberbatch's character. So and it's 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 fascinating to kind of get that that at the you know quiet and slow can erode granite with time but at the same time you still have 
it, it's still a tough swell sell when you have like the rampant sorrow and the malaise and eventually the kind of the plotted revenge that comes out of there because in the wake of this it's still you still have Plemons kind of stuck as the you know the husband who's kind of on the outside you know not realizing the implications of things you have a, a very good performance from Dunst but in, in a place where does she really have kind of a payoff and an ending in a place where all that goes and it's 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 just yeah it it's a difficult film and i'm okay with a difficult film but at the same time i have to i kind of step back and especially with the oscar implications that we're on and go can slow burn like this burn enough to kind of fester enough to to have it stick with me and admittedly parts of this movie have stuck with me a little bit even in the in the way i watched it and how far back along i watched it but at the same time i'll see other films and i'll see other places where something has just a little bit more bite uh and not just the slow burn where i feel like menace can only burn so far and the you know the short little chapters and the time skips are are a tough thing when it comes to patience and and you know it's it's just a drastically slow burn and it is gorgeous it is well acted and you know yeah there's just there's something about it where it it, it is a match you know it you know it's a match lit on fire for sure but it, it there's there's a different level of heat and sturdiness to, from this kind of match to something else where i don't know i just it doesn't take much of a, of a little breeze to put out the fire in this match where i and it's not expectations for me because I went in really dry. I feel like if I read the book, I'd, I would be able to see the seeds and see the pieces along the way. But I come out of it at the end just going, oh, that's it? And okay, it, you know, I'll clap and I'll applaud like, hey, well done in terms of craft and look and performance and dedication. But at the same time, I have to put that up to a, another place of storytelling and another place of value. And I, I just, I'm short for that. So that's my five. That was the hardest right. 10 minutes. That was the hardest 10 minutes I've ever had to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, we have to keep our mouths shut while we take a short break from our uh, to have an announcement from our non-corporate partners and friends. But when we come back, no one's shutting up. So here we go over there. Hey, this is Charlie Triple C from Brevity Box, a new and interesting podcast from the Ruminations Radio Network. If you're a fan of podcasts, we have a lot of great content to offer. Come check out our diverse group of podcasts and hosts at ruminationsradionetwork.com. All right, folks, welcome back. Open discussion time on Gene Campion's The Power of the Dog. Uh, Barbara, you, you're you're uncontained. You better yeah, go yeah, yeah. Let me let me let me clap back on a couple of things here. Oh um, boy! First of all, both uh, of you called this a revenge film. It's not a revenge film. It's a defense film. Um, mm, Cody okay. Smith McPhee mm. is. I mean, one of the things that you know, Will, you and I were fighting, not fighting, arguing, <laughs> oh, arguing in a arguing in a spicy manner on Twitter about the intentions of this film and the intentions of the character. Mm, and mm. I particularly took umbrage because you called it a revenge film, and mm. that you said Cody Smith McPhee was mad that he burned that that. Benedict Cumberbatch burned his flowers and was mean to his mom. And I think that is a, a drastic underreading of the situation because what Cody Smith-McPhee is doing is saving his mother's life. Because his mom, it's very clear, is going to kill herself and drink herself to death to numb herself to just the absolute psychological torture that Benedict Cumberbatch's character is inflicting upon her, right? Like, he mm -hmm. is... 
he the the second that he marks her as um i guess i i i guess they're um as a competitor i don't know like a competitor mm-hmm. for their brother's affections and his brother's you know attention as soon as he marks her for a competitor and he's very disdainful towards you know there aren't that many other women in the film but like the way that he talks to the house one of the house servants is Mm -hmm. also very just like caustic and and horrible. And he just clearly has like open disdain for women, probably because he's not attracted to them. And that's a problem in 1925 Montana. Right. So he is trying to destroy this woman and he's doing it. You know, you called him a loud menace, but he's also a quiet menace in his own way. Very true. I agree with that. Like, like that scene where I, the one where I was just like clawing out of my skin but I, I don't understand this slow burn argument either because I was on edge the entire time. Just he's so cruel to her. Yeah. And the I was dozing he, off. Not gonna this, lie. Yeah. Because you're nuts. So the scene where he's like playing <laughs> the banjo, she's trying to like, you know, learn this piano and he's playing the banjo to sort of fuck her up. He's also mm-hmm. trying to destroy her socially. Right. Because the governor's right. coming. His parents are coming. She's not going to be able to play the piece. She's going to get embarrassed in front of important people. He's trying to destroy her in like ways, both, both obvious and insidious. Right. Mm -hmm. And she's trying, I mean, the only way that she can cope living in this hostile environment that she finds is through alcohol. And the the kid knows she's going to drink herself to death at the very beginning of the movie in his voiceover. Um, I wrote this down. He said, when my father passed, I wanted nothing more than my mother's happiness. For what kind of man would I be if I did not help my mother, if I did not save her? So it's 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 mm-hmm. not a story of revenge. It's a story of defense and him saving that. his mother from this situation. And also, sorry, I'm just going to keep talking. No, 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 no. I, I literally I, shut I, me up. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. I'll tip my hat because um, I'll tip my hat because this is – a word I dropped in my review was the word rancor. You know, it's got it's got a rancor about it, where but it does so without carnal violence. Like this, you know, and and they're dropping. I mean, they're calling down the biblical thunder with the whole Psalm twenty two twenty thing with you know a verse that contains the line of the movie, the title of the movie. You know, and you're you're there talking about you know beloved darlings and delivering souls and deadly teeth of sin and stuff like that. And this movie has a straight bitterness that builds that texture in it. And but at the same time, it's a western that doesn't pull a trigger it doesn't kill with knives or blades um and it, it you know it kills with like you're saying you know the 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 non-pointed and the non-violence it but it the festering part and the you know the 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 mental weapons are are at full play here for sure but i i don't know it i but i mean that's I, why i, I, I say head to is... oh i get it oh no i get all that but but like this is a woman's western Right. Very much so right. I do call it a woman's touch in my review, even though that in a way is still dismissive when you consider the source and the twists that are there. But it is definitely a woman's touch and a welcome one. And and the other, you know, the other thing that I wanted to 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 clap back a little bit on, you know, Will said that he had trouble um sympathizing with anybody because he's feeling like he's mm. having to choose between two bad men, right? There and, and Cody Smith McPhee, one of the things that I love about his performance is they sort of I think the movie hints that he's neurodivergent or neuroatypical he plays with um a comb a lot he he plays mm-hmm. with the tines of the comb when he's like thinking or upset he goes and he like there's that strange and really beautiful kind of surreal scene where he just goes outside for a second and hula hoops and then goes back inside he's doing these things with like yeah. with like texture and behavior that i think the movie's hinting that he's he's just wired 
a little differently. So I don't think he's an incredibly like pleasing or instantly empathetic character. And, and of course, Benedict Cumberbatch is, uh, you know, he's, there's some sympathy to have for him, but he's an incredibly cruel man. But who you're forgetting in this equation is Rose. Mm. You're not choosing to have sympathy between um, Peter and Phil. You're choosing to have sympathy for Rose because she's the one who's suffering and she's the one who gets saved. That's in the true. End. That's true. Yeah. I, I think my main my main issue was with uh, Peter. I think you said was the name of the character, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I was you know, on board with that, that whole idea of that, maybe, you know, there is something that is not quite normal, you know, mentally with him and everything like that, uh, you know, because of the, the comb and the hula hoop and stuff like that. I think what kind of tipped me into the, well, I mean, first of all, he does murder someone. And second, <laughs> he does the animal scene is what really made me go like, Oh crap. Like this kid, it's more than just that he's got, Something but he didn't wrong. he didn't kill any of the animals like sociopathically or anything. No, no. The one you know, he's studying to be a surgeon. So he's, you know, the the first rabbit he is dissecting and he has a, a book next to him and he's doing sketches. So he's dissecting it with a purpose. It's not to be a, a cruel sociopathic piece of shit. And the second and the second time the animal's leg is broken, he does have to put it out of its misery. Right. It's just that he doesn't hesitate to do it. Because he's already done it before and he knows what needs to be. He's right. able to do what they're signaling is that he he's able to do the terrible thing that needs to be done to stop the suffering. And in this case, it's his mother's suffering. Mm. Well, right. But I, that's that my, my thing is it's, it's, they kind of established like, Oh, it's a cute rabbit. I don't know. Like to me, like, yes, he can do, like you said, he can, he can do the things that are that need to be done. I get that. Sure. That's a very strong aspect to it. But Something to me about, and and maybe this is the point, maybe it isn't, but like to me, it was like the way they established it with like, oh, this is a really cute rabbit, and then the next scene he's dissecting it on his desk in front of the little girl. Like there just seemed to be, I know it wasn't sociopathic because he's like atypical. He's a little atypical. He's he doesn't. He tries to stop her from coming inside too. He's like, no, 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 get out of my room, get out of my room. Like he tries. But you don't think. I mean, and Cody's wonderful, but you don't think they kind of dialed that to 12 with the hula hoops and the sneakers and like, it's, it's a big collection of oddities when two or three I don't know that do. that's dialed it to 12, like, like yeah. playing with the hula hoops and having sneakers. I mean, those are like quiet affectations. Sure. The but they dwell things, right? on them. Like the, the whole sneaker walk through the camp scene, like there's half sneakers and then there, let's bring every piece of attention we can to it for a second. You know, like. I don't know. I feel like they hammer it a little too hard. And I, I think they hammer it's the it to get to the swerve that's later. But yeah, no, I think it's the opposite of hammering. I think she's building like mm-hmm. a character through really what are quiet details. The hula hoop is not allowed detail. Yeah. The comb is no. not allowed detail. They're small things. Sure. No, when you talk sympathy, if there's a place where sympathy maybe could be can be attached to you would think Jesse Plemons' character, George, would, would be a great spot because he's got to deal with this shithead brother. He's, you know, he's landed in a, in a tough situation with, with Rose, and he kind of you know, has to kind of acquire you know, Peter and, and whatever pieces and parts are there and you know, attempt any kind of relationship, which I, you don't see a ton of. And, and at the same time, you know, how will he feel as the things fall around him, you know, whether, whether it's his wife you know, descending where she's descending or his brother getting tougher and worse about himself, or of course his own eventual death. And, and it's, I don't know if there's another place that's underplayed where as other things are overplayed, 
I'm not saying George has to fall down in the in the beautiful plains and weep, but he's he's sidelined awfully hard too. I think he's a little special too. Like like Oh certainly. certainly. Or I don't mean special in a derogatory. I, I know that's no, I know he, another I atypical man. I think I think he's atypical. I think he's different, especially for this time and place. And I think too, you gotta mm-hmm. remember who his brother is, right? His brother True. takes up all of the oxygen and all oh, of the yes. space in every room they occupy. And so he's I think been sort of molded into this more sort of quiet, submissive shape. Mm-hmm. given who his brother is but yeah i, I don't yeah. think he's a typical i don't think he's a typical man of of the time and place you know the same way you know peter isn't but different psychological makeup i think it's more he's just been molded by his brother's bombacity yeah no absolutely and there, there's a great scene uh, that i liked when you know they're i can't remember what they were doing exactly but they're they're in the bar they're celebrating something and you know uh Jesse Plemons gets up and says, all right, guys, let's go over to get dinner. And no one, no one pays attention to him at all. Mm-hmm. You know, they're always waiting for, you know, Phil to give the order, you know, and uh, that's good. That's a good, um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. example of the fact that, yes, like you said, the oxygen, I like that, but the oxygen is sucked out of the room completely to the point where they don't even recognize him as a person, you know, basically, even the people that he's supposedly lives with and works with forever, you know? Well, and, and I think there's a lot of sympathetic tenderness um, for um, Jesse Plemons character too. Like, you know, the way that he comes and visits with Rose when he first meets her and then serves the that's salad, a nice scene. you know, yeah. that's a nice scene. Or when they pull the car over after they've been married and they have tea out in the fields while looking at the mountains. And she, she teaches him in a, in a cute little awkward way, how to, how to sort of dance a little bit. And you can see that he's just, I don't know if he's like slow or if he's just, mm-hmm. you know, but he's a tender man who means really well. And so that's that, true. and it helps that the two of them are married in real life. Cause they have a nice chemistry. That's yeah. very palpable. That was really yeah. cool. It, it, to, even to see in person at, at the press junket stuff, it was like those two played it off each other very well. And that was a really commendable. No, I, 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 um, I feel like the first half of this movie builds and creates what you're talking about, Barbara, very, very well, like establishing some places, some menace, some, some, some um, affinities, and then some also some places to, to plant some seeds that you can, you know, be evocative later. And I, as it just goes on, I, I get lost. You know, there's little scenes here, little scenes there that seem like, and I know that's the aimless, you know, the, I don't want to say aimless, but I know that's the wandering oh, it's nature really of a Western. Aimless. There's not a wet, there's not a wasted scene in the film. Oh God. I think there's, I no, there's not. My, my two hands or something. Name a wasted scene. Name one. Oh. Skinny dipping in the pond. Oh my God. No, that scene was beautiful. The one where he I, like. Yes. Like, I won't say any scene is wasted from a no, visual standpoint, no, no, but no, from no, a no. storytelling to me off. to the no, end no, no. of purpose standpoint. Oh, no, I'm I can lost. tell you the storytelling point. Every I time I ever stare at a mountain point. and say nothing, lost. No, god damn, what's wrong with you? <laughs> no, when he goes when he goes and he's skating is there is there is like thing the... to get away from the other he's going away from the other men and it's signaling yeah. something. It's very important Sing- to the oh character. Oh my god, they, they gotta they need to bring a louder bell than this one because Oh, but god you just damn. said that it was too loud and now you they need to bring a louder bell no, to the, it. Which no, it? Peter is too loud. These other quirks are are not loud enough or or I don't know, just Peter, it's, the character who barely talks, is too loud. <laughs> yeah, when you throw the sneakers on him and you do the hula hooping and oh, you give sneakers, him a bag yeah, of quirks. 
the 10 seconds of hula hoop just oh it's 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 just but no like i'm like i'm saying like give him you know you can give him traits that make him effeminate and and build what you're building whether he's a surgeon or he's just an atypical person but then you gotta but you don't need a dozen of them you need four of them it's just i don't know it's over two okay you've named sneakers hula hoop uh i think you you want to do the paper flowers thing you want to do the stuck in the loveless mother thing do you i I just okay that's that's no, just the I, situation. That's I know. Then, then he's a surgeon, and then he's you know tall. And then he goes out with the boys. It, 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 oh, it's so just, now that he's tall, that's a. I, I, that's, I'm I just saying you pile of, you pile a bunch of things on that it's just funny like it's just funny because it's funny. You're just describing Cody Smith McPhee. You I know, and that's Cody fine. McPhee, and, you oh, and, and he's like, like said, his performance, but you he's have wonderful. Cody Smith yeah. McPhee when you want somebody who's a little no, 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 off. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't recast them for a thing. What I'm saying is, I got. I got to tune it different. As simple as that. How Just, do you tone I, down? How do you tone down a kid that gawky and tall and wide-eyed? You don't tone it. No, down. no, no. That's don't tone it. down the look. It's the actions. Just, uh, just. Right, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to say something because, as you notice, I'm being very quiet because I. I know. I, I I did not want to unleash the wrath. That yeah. is Barbara on me because I'm trying to because I have to you know I live in the same state as her I want to I know I want to foster a nice relationship. You have to, yeah she can I'm good she right? can she can find me and end me uh, but no 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 this is I'm sitting I'm sitting here and I'm just I got I'm doing like the villain thing where I'm putting my hands together going mm, excellent I'm getting yeah. Don and Barbara against each other uh, no I I I will um, gladly I can see both sides of what you're saying uh, I I feel that maybe my view wasn't quite as like you said you said it was kind of a gross underreading of it i i still think there's enough sociopathic elements to peter that make me not want to sympathize with him but i i know what you're saying there is a little bit more depth to this than perhaps i was mm-hmm. giving it credit for uh and but i also do see when when we say something is loud i don't think we're meaning like the literal loud like no he's screaming oh, and no, no. Okay. So I, I kind of agree with that because I'm kind of like, yeah, they are kind of. Sometimes it's 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 purposeful, and I, I like what it's going for. Like, there's the scene where they go to, um, what was it? They were out in the woods, and uh, what were they doing? Like, everyone was there, and all the trucks were there. What were they doing out there? I can't remember what it was. There's some scene, and he's looking at like stuff in the trees, and everyone's calling him a sissy and a queer and everything, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and 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 that was a great that was a great like. Uh, analogy for the film it's like you got Benedict Cumberbatch over here who's in charge of all these men and and, and showing that masculinity the typical quote-unquote using uh, finger quotes typical masculinity of the time and then you've got this person who is out there and doing his own thing and is being made fun of for it and that's kind of the fear that Benedict Cumberbatch has uh, so I like it when it does that but yes I do agree with the loudness sometimes because it's kind of like hey look at I think sometimes Ooh, look at his sneakers. Oh, look at his paper flowers. Ooh, look at his bunny stuff. Like it's just, it's it's. Well, here I'll use your word, Barbara. It signaling, like there the things that maybe could get singled a little different. To te- I'm not saying telegraph, but just signal. Yeah, just some things are signaled very strongly. Some things are signaled very weakly. And I think the wrong things get signaled weak, and I think the wrong things get signaled strongly, in, in some places. Now, none of it is me calling it trash. Oh my gosh, that's a fine film. You know, I, I'm just sitting here. That's my that's my my ledge of being down here at three instead of five. Well, none of it. You also have. Wine. You also do have issues with 
slow burn films in general, right? Oh, I, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a vi- I don't want to say it's a vice, but it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Oh, it's a I challenge. don't. <laughs> no, yeah. I have, I have, I have uncommon patience for movies in which close to nothing happened. Um, oh, I, I, can't. I, yeah. I have a lot of patience for that. If, if I feel like it adds up to, I mean, it's got to add up to something in the end, right? And, and that, so it's whether that, or not yeah. you feel like this adds up to something. To me, That's the it thing. added My up mind, to something. And yeah. I, I, I would, I would challenge you. I would challenge mm-hmm. you both to rewatch it because I think. Oh no, it's gonna happen for sure. I think it. Um, I, I was, I, I will admit, I was reticent to watch it a second time. I was like, oh, is it gonna lose something? Again, it's not quite a twist, but it is a, it is a surprise. There's mm-hmm. a surprise that happens. And so like, well, when you know the surprise, is that going to take some of the enjoyment out of the film or is a lot of the enjoyment wrapped up in the surprise of it? Sure. Um, like and this I wasn't going to be an M. Night Shyamalan more. film. You know, this wasn't going to be an M. Night Shyamalan film when, when the twist is gone, it's all it has. Like right, it's right, better right. than that for sure. No, but I think it, I think it gains, I think it gains something knowing what's happening. I think it, you, you okay. get additional pleasure watching the movie and seeing just how, campion is setting the stage and playing Mm -hmm. with you know when i say that you go into the film with expectations i don't mean you literally walk into the movie thinking i think this is going to be a romantic period but like (laughs) your expectations as you're watching it right i think as you're watching it you have certain expectations of where the story is going and and she pulls that rug out from under you and she's doing something very masterful with the storytelling there yeah i I, i've recently uh one thing that i've been trying to make up for in my life is uh, Paul Thomas Anderson films and I recently watched another, a film this reminds me of is a film I just watched for the first time a couple of days ago which was uh, There Will Be Blood it, kind of mm. similar I, I think in terms of having a central character who is incredibly unlikable um, but like you said getting to that point of getting something out of it at the end so like that's that's think, my problem with that movie too I get see, to the I, end I, and see, we're I, I get to the end of that movie and we're killing people in bowling alleys. I'm like, that's it. It's all we're no, gonna no, do. We're gonna have to have I another don't... episode on there will be blood so I can explain that <laughs> to you. <laughs> no, 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 you don't. Uh-huh. Not, no, not for me. Not for me because I, I gave yeah. it four and a half. I, I loved there will be blood. I loved it except for that very ending. I did not like the very end. But, oh, but you're wrong. To, to, to me, <laughs> hey, I gave it four and a half. Give me a break. But my point is, is that like, it's a three yeah, there, for there, me there, as well. There is there is an element to both of these films where, like like you said, I think it is about what are you getting out of it at the end. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to look at it from a different perspective now that I've talked to you about it, Barbara. I'm, I'm going to rewatch it. I'm going to look at it from the perspective of a defense film as opposed to a revenge film. I like that angle. Yeah, that is very a very good. good angle. But I think where I'm siding with Don a little bit is is I'm struggling to get there to that yeah. point. It didn't work the first time, so I'm not saying mm-hmm. it won't work the second time. But um, I think that a, a, the reason why I bring up there, there Will Be Blood is because the central character, despite being unlikable, which is something that I'm finding trouble dealing with myself in my personal mm-hmm. life lately, is his arc is so compelling because he has Agreed. elements of humanity. And eventually, Daniel Day-Lewis, he descends into just, he, he keeps going down the path of becoming just complete crazy you know psychotic mm-hmm. evil person and that I'm, really I'm i'm in that i'm into that arc so at the end when i'm seeing that full journey and it kind of is this like it kind of emphasizes the 
the themes of capitalism and, and how you can literally like kill your way to the top. Whereas with this, it's the themes seem less. You're, what you're saying, Barbara, is great because it's making me reconsider the film and I definitely want to rewatch it. So I totally agree with you on that part. But I think that the themes are, are, are nebulous enough that they don't engage me as much. Like, yeah, there's the defense arc, but all the stuff going around it, yeah, I'm just I, not quite as engaged as I am with something like There Will Be Blood or something, which I think has the similar pace and a similar yeah. style and almost the similar time setting, too. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's where I am. And both well, I would gorgeous. If all I do is watch Power of the Dog on mute, I, I'm, you know, it's... Yeah, I'm going to be taken away to a beautiful place, but I I need more in that. And oh, well, I I would say that Campion is doing something well much more intimate than Paul Thomas Anderson is doing yes. in There Will Be Blood. Like I think you can talk about There Will Be that. Blood in in terms of like grand themes and sure. how it's really about America and it's really about capitalism. But I don't think that's what Campion is doing. She's doing no, a much not. more intimate interior kind of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you can really talk about it in the same and way. And this movie, yeah. this movie's not doing any kind of like me too woke pitchforks and knives thing about about homosexuality either like it's 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 layered and well like you said intimate more than loud and this is interesting i wanted to ask you about this barbara because we we have a a respected colleague of me and don's uh annie banks she's on our um she was on a couple episodes we've recorded that are coming out Mm -hmm. soon um she was having trouble with the fact that she doesn't think that um the way that uh, Bill Burbank is essentially repressing his homosexuality and because of that he's an awful person Mm. Um, I never thought about it in this way until she brought it up she she sees it as kind of a regressive thing where it's like it's not like even though it's like you said it's intimate and it's it, it has a purpose for the drama she was seeing it as something that is kind of negative like it's it's painting whether that's intentional or not or malicious or not which I do not think it is because Agreed. Campion has been very um, sex positive and, you know, very open about all kinds of things. Um, do you think that that story is kind of an, an old trope that's just being retrodden? Or do you think this is... I, I don't think she's saying... I don't think she's saying that Phil is a terrible person because he's repressing his sexuality. I think he's a tragic person and it's manifesting in ugly ways. But she does she does create room for sympathy for Phil. Like he comes on and that comes in the second half of the film, right? Like if you only watch the first half, I guess you could say, Oh, well he's a terrible person because he's repressing his sexuality. But Mm -hmm. in the second half, he, when he becomes tender towards Peter and uh, he's braiding the rope for Peter, you can see that there's like just this real broken longing for something he hasn't been able to have. And it, it makes him, there, there are tender moments. So I don't think he's a monster and I don't think um, she's painting him in totally broad strokes. Um, also, I mean, I would also throw in the caution that I'm not a gay man. So like, I would be more receptive towards hearing what a gay man thinks uh, after True. having seen this movie, if he feels like it's regressive. It didn't yeah. to me, but it's not my lived experience. I, I, I mean, yeah. I can't say I'm that in that place either, but I, I think of it as like, all right, what would it be? What would, what would these things look like and sound like in 1925? And you know what? They'd be as repressed as fuck. So, oh yeah, absolutely. It, it coming out, you know, and for a movie yeah. to even attempt to show it out is ballsy enough as it is. 
Yeah, and I and I that's why I'm saying I, I don't necessarily agree with that viewpoint that she brought up, but I know Barbara that you know you're very socially active and uh, conscious person, progressive, and I just wanted to get your take on that because I wanted to make sure that I was because obviously it's a valid point that she brings up mm-hmm. uh, from her experience, but I you know I didn't see it and I just wanted to know if it's something that maybe you saw, but I. I I don't think I think to I think to believe that I would have to or to for me personally to feel that way that Phil would have to feel um, one dimensional and I don't think he's one dimensional I think he's Agreed. complicated and I understand where his cruelty and uh, where his behavior comes from and that she sure. creates room for tenderness for him in the second half so I I ended up finding finding him a very compelling and empathetic character and when he died I was shocked because i i hated him so much when he was terrorizing rose i was shocked when he was dead to feel like a ping of sadness because she really did create well, some empathy for him did you let's let's talk about need that. that yeah did you need that pound of flesh so to speak to watch a death scene or is it did haunting more it? that you, yeah that it skips to his picking out coffins no it's haunting more than it just skip i mean you know what's gonna happen you don't need to see it i mean you see mm-hmm. he's dying you know and then it, it yeah. skips immediately to the coffin there's like a cold finality to it i really liked the way she shot and just the fact it, it, your imagination ends up doing more work anyway because i agree he's he's speaking to the mortician at the end and he's like you know oh those those final convulsions it's like nothing i've ever seen and they're talking about how he died without having shown it and your mm-hmm. imagination i having never seen what anthrax poisoning or i don't know if it's not poisoning anthrax infection looks like poison i think yeah. i can see it's a sort of poisoning um i i've never seen it i don't know what it looks like but just them talking about it afterwards how dramatic it was i was like oh my imagination ran away with it so i didn't need yeah. to see it my imagination did the work for me I got you. well let's 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 flip over to you were talking about him being a complex interesting character and i think that's going to come into play with Oscar nominations and things like that. I mean, mm. I think he's the shoe in for a nomination. Do you think he has oh, a chance of winning? I do. I think he's a front runner at, at this point. I didn't see the Golden Globes tonight. We're recording this, folks, on January There was no Golden Globes. They just well, tweeted it out. I know. <laughs> they just tweeted it out. <laughs> but, um, but no, I think um, looking at the field, I know there's a lot of – I mean, Andrew Garfield's riding a good little wave if he's the young vote now. Obviously, he's got some Spider-Man favor running for him, but I don't know how much that matters to Oscar voters. But And I know there's some some older candidates in there where is it their time or even if it's not their time, is it time to get them something? You know, the, the hard part is with, with those Oscar races is, is sometimes it's never their best performance. It's just kind of when it's their turn. And like, I guess this is Benedict's mm-hmm. what second bite at the apple after, in, you know, yeah. the imitation, imitation game. game. Yeah. Well, and, and just to, and I don't know if this says anything because the Golden Globes don't mean much, but I'm just looking at the winners right now. Power of the Dog did win drama, motion picture. Uh, Cody Smith McPhee did win supporting actor. Jane Campion won director. Um, so I don't know if that means anything, but mm. um, that comes into play. But uh, who would be his stiffest competition at this point, do you think? Ooh, see. I mean, well, we talked about Will Smith. Uh, I, think I think he'll be there because he's got the sentimental vote, you know. Yeah, but that's it, though. Like, it's not it's it's not a strong enough performance to kind of be the one. But we've seen we've seen the sentimental thing win every now and then. But I don't know if this is the year the sentimental thing does. No, no, unless, I'm just saying unless he has enough the... people go, oh, hey, we missed it eleven years ago or fifteen years ago with with Pursuit of Happiness, but. 
I don't know. No, no, yeah, I'm just saying. I think he would be well. Up so there. much of the, so much of the Oscar, especially the actor, especially the actor categories, it ends yeah. up being about who's able to jockey into first position. Like it's usually mm. like a political social game more than it is. Unfortunately, who actually deserves to win it? So I mean, anything. Yeah. I Will Smith did win for. Um, the golden globes so musical maybe comedy. we all just decide that we really like will smith and want to give it to him i don't think he did anything in that film that was special but no i like i liked him a lot but i thought he was fine I like too. Will smith. he made me cry once so that was mm-hmm. fine uh here are the here are the i'm just looking at variety here me are too. the top top five projected nominees uh it's ordered in ranking i'm assuming of I don't know if this means that they'll win or what. I the think they're going rank here, like Vegas odds style here. Because it says rank number one, Will, Will Smith, King Richard. Number two, Benedict Cumberbatch, Power of the Dog. Number three, Andrew Garfield, Tick, Tick, Boom. Four, Denzel Washington, Tragedy of Macbeth. And five, Peter Dinklage mm-hmm. or Cyrano. So Complete token nominee there. That fifth spot is could land a thousand different ways. You know, Nick Cage could sneak in there. Uh, Simon Rex could sneak oh, in. Oh, I wish Nick Cage. I wish Nick. Yeah. Nick. Oh, Simon Rex would be great too. I would yeah. die of laughter. But those top, could. those top four, <laughs> those top four lock them in. That that's as firm as you're you're gonna get because really? you're not exactly. denying Denzel Washington. Andrew Garfield has has had too good of a year in too many places, and it's a great big showy film. And then Will's Will's the popularity Hollywood guy, and Benedict's the legit thespian who belongs. So those four are. Hey, yeah. let's talk about legit. I think Will Smith is a good actor. He's a good actor. Yeah, but he's a star before he's an actor. I don't think it was a yeah, and I don't think it was a great vehicle for his. I don't think it was that great. No, 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 no absolutely. I I agree. Like if he wins, it would be the quote unquote legacy vote because it was yes. like, hey, he's done the he's he's paid his dues for twenty five years now. But he is an effective actor. Has he paid his dues? Because for the like the last fifteen years, he's just been in crap. So I don't yeah, know. that's the hard part. Is, is the Aladdin if, if people... is the Aladdin live action film paying your dues? Oh gosh, right. Like no, you're you're right because we've seen the whole resume winner before, and he he doesn't have that. Like it's not like we've missed five things from him since Pursuit of Happiness. Mm-hmm. We've missed nothing. Whereas, well, no, but I, but I like Nick say... Cage. Nick Cage would be a legacy winner where you're like, okay, you've been quietly been doing interesting things for a yeah. while that we've never True. given you any attention for. But since he's already won, I don't think they would do that. Well, you know, that's your argument then with Denzel Washington too, where he's kind of, he's the Meryl Streep. No, he's won twice, which is wonderful, but he's also right. Meryl Streep where it's been a long time since training day and he just keeps getting, keeps taking wonderful good things and has always had good graces everywhere in town where he, there's he's got a better resume argument than Will. No, no, yeah, and I, I guess I don't know why I'm suddenly the defend Will Smith podcast. I do, I do <laughs> no, agree. I do, I do agree that he has not had like the greatest hits. He's I mean, the McConaughey looking, guy this year, is what you're saying. I mean, well, I guess because I mean, I'm looking at some of his stuff here. Let's see. I mean, oh, don't the last know. couple it's, years. It's Bad it's Boys for Life, Gemini yeah, Man, that. Aladdin, Bright. Mm-hmm. Concussion. Collateral Beauty, no. Suicide Squad. Concussion, he oh. was good in. I liked him in Concussion. Yeah, Collateral Beauty's a train wreck. Come on. Seven pounds, Hancock. I don't know. But I just it's it's yeah. bleak. It's bleak. Yeah. But, I, but, I think but, the other thing that But if things cancel each other out, like if Will's resume is not good enough and Denzel's resume is too good and Benedict's performance is too whatever, auteur or different, maybe you're maybe I know this happens more in the female categories than the male categories, but maybe you go with the ingenue. And the ingenue is Andrew Garfield. 
I'd be <laughs> totally happy if Andrew Garfield won. Me I would too. Be totally <laughs> I think he was fantastic in that movie. Yeah, he was great in the movie. I had some issues with his character, but that does, that's not his fault. That's the no. character, right? No, he was like so. he was just like an electric ball of energy oh, and was captivating yeah. to look And maybe at. and maybe that wins over the that you know the super dramatic thing that Cumberbatch is doing. So people but go they're to the doing different stuff. things. They're doing yeah. different things, right? Like I, it's one one of the things I hate so much about awarding anything in categories like this is how do you compare what Andrew Garfield did to what Benedict Cumberbatch is doing? There's no, they're doing different things. I don't know how you say one is better than the other when they're, when they're just in different universes. Me and Don were talking about this the other day. Um, There is levels though. Like it depends on like one of my, one of the biggest Oscar crimes to me. And I think I talked about this on a prior episode was um, so forgive me if I told the story listeners, but um, I remember when Sean Penn uh, beat Bill Murray mm. for Lost in Translation. Don't remind now, me. So, yeah, but, but what, I, what I'm saying with that is, is that Sean Penn was good, yes. But it was a very loud, and I don't want to say predictable, but it was a it was. more it was a more by the numbers performance. Whereas Bill Murray had this very low key. He was doing everything with his eyes and the and not speaking. So I think there is a way to look at Andrew Garfield and Benedict Cumberbatch. To me, Benedict Cumberbatch would overtake Garfield for me because of what he's doing in the silent moments, as mm-hmm. opposed to Garfield, who's mm-hmm. kind of all over the place. I mean, it's, they're both fantastic performances, but to me, it's more about what you can do with your eyes and the quiet than it is about the loud. But unfortunately, the Oscars, not unfortunately, but sometimes yeah. the Oscars go for the loud as opposed yeah. to the Or it's a mood complex. thing. They need, the, they need the chipper one instead of the dramatic one. Not like, and sometimes it's a pendulum where like last year you had Hopkins beat Bozeman. So you had the, the dramatic one beat the chipper feel-good movie or feel-good story winner, you know? So are people going to be like, oh, man, last year we kind of went with the – I don't want to say the boring one because Hopkins was great, but like – Oh, that was like the, the performance b- of his career, to be oh, honest. The, yeah, I completely agree. Like, if you're going to lose, you lose Oscars, to Hopkins on his best day, you know? Yeah, and, and it was really the fault of the Oscars for manipulating oh, the award show uh-huh. and, and banking on Bozeman winning. And they really did both of those actors wrong by manipulating it emotionally sure, sure. that way. I'm, yeah, I have so, lots of thoughts about that. I'm very mad about it. <laughs> I agree. No, I, yeah, I, so, I mean, in, in summary, I think that Benedict has a good shot. I will defend Will Smith. I'm not saying I'm defending his King Richard. I performance. I thought it was a good performance. I cried in it, but I I, I think Benedict should win of those. Yeah, is my I think Will. Choice. I think Will gets a People's Choice Award. That's where his his <laughs> his favorite should belong. Now in I terms think that of, this could be. I think this should be like just a jumping board to Will Smith getting more serious roles. Right. I agree. Like, yeah. Like, like let's let's I, cash I, I would in. prefer that. I would prefer that versus an Oscar. I would prefer seeing him get more roles worthy of his talent so that he'll get yes. more Oscar chances in the future. Yeah. No, because I, one thing I will say about one thing I will say about Will Smith and I'll defend his legacy, if not his most recent filmography is that he is one of the most reliable stars. Uh, he reminds me a lot of Harrison Ford in a way uh, is that okay. I would, see, I would see a lot of movies. Harrison Ford is, I mean, even he had some bad years there, but like when I go to a Harrison Ford movie, I don't think I've ever, even if the movie is bad, I've never been disappointed in him. And I it's the same way with like Will. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I Will think, Smith is incredibly charismatic. He's got that charismatic yeah. movie mm-hmm. star yeah, quality. 
and, and you're right. He needs to have that. He needs to get back into because there is very few actors I know that have that intensity and vulnerability. This is why I mentioned the, the Harrison Ford thing, because Harrison Ford can be simultaneously the baddest ass guy in the room and the most vulnerable. And true. Like, he, and, and Will Smith is like that to me. Like he is so cool. Like you want to be Will Smith, but then sometimes he has that, he just has that ability to have, have that raw emotion that I, I really love. Mm-hmm. So I will defend it. Like if he gets nominated, I'm not going to be like, well, this is stupid. It's yeah. like, hey, good, good for him. But yeah, I agree with Barbara. Let's get him more, better roles. You know. Mm-hmm. Now, so. in terms of the rest of the Power of the Dog, I feel like it's the movie that's going to end up at the end of the night winning the most awards. Like, even if it does, even if it just gets chopped somewhere, as like if if Best Picture doesn't go its way, or Gene Campion doesn't win Best Director, or even if Benedict comes up short, I feel like it's the prestige, beautiful piece that's going to win production design, cinematography, score. Like it's it's up there for a ton of things. You know it's what? Win I would of I, awards. I would be amazed if it won Best Cinematography. I want it to. Because of Dune. Um, well, th- because of Dune, and also because of Macbeth. Like there are in yeah, Belfast as well. There oh, are a couple oof. of showy black, so which I don't yeah. like, but there are a couple of showy black and white films. And what the Oscars tend to do is award for the most cinematography and not the best cinematography. Now it would be amazing if Power of the Dog won because a woman is the cinematographer. Um, Ari Wegner, I think you said her name was. Yes. Um, and only one woman in the history of the Oscars has been nominated. Yeah, None have ever. Win. Only one. Only I one, know. which is fucking crazy. So well, I then, wish and, she would win, but. And then on that note, there's only been six women nominated for Best Director, and only two have won. Uh huh. So I think this I, is Campion. I think this is Campion's year. No, I she's going to get it because I think she's talk about paying your dues with extremely interesting, offbeat off Hollywood films where you can kind of, it, it's almost kind of like the reverse. Well, I, I guess not. I was going to say it's like the reverse Chloe Zhao, but not really because. Well, she took Chloe, 12 years up here, you know? Well, no, but I'm saying like, you know, like Chloe Zhao, you know, Nomadland was definitely until Eternals, her most mainstream movie. She was making very small indies first mm-hmm. and, and Campion to a degree was making, I would say high profile art indies. You know, that would, you know, they did in theaters, but they weren't like blockbusters or anything. Have either of you ever seen, have either of you ever seen Jane Campion's Bright Star? I have have not, not, but you speak to it. That is my favorite Jane Campion film is Bright Star. I would um, highly recommend if you're like curious to see another movie um, that's not Power of the Dog that sort of showcases um, her skills as a filmmaker bright star is my favorite it is the most romantic film i have ever seen it reduces me to a blubbering pile (laughs) of just just goo i'm a i i i like wept i'm I'm not a crier i don't cry at movies a lot it takes something like it hits some some open nerve in me that i didn't know i had and just makes me openly weep which is not a thing i do so Uh, highly recommend if 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 you want you know to step away from power of the dog for a little bit but do something else campy and just to see like how it mm -hmm. lands for you i really recommend bright star I, I mean, if she doesn't walk out with three Oscars, she's walking out with two because I've, I'm with you. I think director's in the bag. I think adapted screenplay is in the bag. Yeah. I don't see it. I don't see enough, what else is an adapted like Dune's not winning that. 
Um, Coda, maybe, but you're adapting more of a film than a book. I don't know. How, that's not happened a I lot. Don't think that's West Side Story's been there, done that. I know Tony Kushner has a hell of a resume, but Maggie Gyllenhaal is not beating Jane Campion for this. You know, I think Tony Kushner is probably like his bi- is her biggest competition here. But I think <laughs> yeah. she's got I think she's got director in the bag. I really do. I, I think she's got director and screenplay in the bag. She's always fascinating. I, I have. Have you ever watched the Top of the Lake series that she put together? With, I have um, not. Oh, uh, Barb, Barbara. Sorry, I almost called you Barb. Don't uh, you dare. You, I know. Sorry. <laughs> you need to. Che- you need to check out. Top I'm just of the bad Lake. at TV. Yeah. I'm just bad at TV. I will. Um, I just am very slow about <laughs> catching up. And I'm only just now oh, watching. I don't watch television. No, so, don't worry. Yeah, I don't. I don't watch it either. But I, I, because it was her that was directing it and right. putting it together. It's really fascinating. And I also, like I said, I love In the Cut. I think In the Cut is one of the most intriguing. And I got to give it to Jane Campion. Now we have seen, because of Jane Campion, we have seen the Hulk's dong and uh, Doctor Strange's dong. <laughs> this is so, true. The, right. the Marvel dong collection right. starts with her. Yeah. The yeah. Marvel. So, who's next? Who's next to Jane yeah, Campion's Marvel, Marvel, Marvel dong show, collection? Who's your most wanted dong? Who do you need next? Oh man! Uh, I need spot. Tom Hiddleston. I need Tom. Hiddleston. Oh boy! No, you know what? I, I know can what? see that. I can see you that. Can you can see, see Tom Hiddleston's Jane. dong. What? Can I see? I see. <laughs> yeah. Remember? Remember? Barbara he that... We can see his dong. What's going on here? Remember when I sent you that picture from that movie High Rise, where yes. I said, "Hey, what would what would happen if uh, you saw this staring out your window? And it was him just holding like a towel on his junk and that's was true. staring at you." All right, uh, so we've that's we've seen enough dung there. So who's next? I gotta go lie down. It was nice talking to you guys. I know. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> All right, Hiddleston, dong. I'm down with. I mean, if I had to choose a dong, I know. Any, choose a dong. I mean, I guess. I mean, since I'm such a, a Ant Man guy, I gotta go with Paul Rudd, right? I gotta go. I wouldn't, with I wouldn't turn away. I wouldn't turn away Paul Rudd's dong. I wouldn't no. turn it away. You you would examine his hemorrhoids from This Is Forty if you could, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna go that far. Okay. Well, this but, is, ladies and gentlemen, oh we have Snowball Avalon's line. It's hemorrhoids and butts. Got and you it. were right. It was almost. It was almost ninety-five minutes. <laughs> yes, told you. Uh, final thoughts, folks. Whether it's Oscars, film, or otherwise. Uh, my Are final right? thoughts are just that I hope that you guys will watch Power of the Dog again with mm-hmm. um, maybe just just sort of some fresh eyes and keeping in mind some of the impassioned arguments I made I would just love if you gave it another shot even if you don't yeah. love it I know that I it is I guess not a movie that I would expect everybody to love I know that it's slow sure. I know that it's a weird western I know that there are very just strange character elements at play so it's not something I expect everybody to like mm-hmm. um but I would encourage you to try watching it again, just keeping our conversation in mind and see if you don't, I don't know, feel differently about some aspects of the film. And also, I will order my cinematic LASIK surgery. You betcha. And and one thing we've learned here at Cinephile Hissy Fit is we, we kind of do false advertisements. We always talk that we're always going to be, I mean, unless it's a Terrence Malick flick, which uh-huh. Don hates and I love. Um, we generally like, kind of end up going oh that's a good point maybe i'll give that another shot so that's kind of the whole purpose of the show is like give us another perspective and you know obviously me and don were on one side you were on the other and i think you're convincing me in other ways to definitely give a shot so i I gave you my word when i find the time (laughs) and i'm a little bit and i'm a little bit more awake uh Uh i will i will i will give it i'll give it a shot i'll give it another shot i would that would make me happy just the giving it a shot part would make me happy i will i'll do it I'll do it. All right. I'm going to 
outro this. So I watch. Oh, you know what? Before we do that, Barbara, why don't you give us all of your like where where can we reach you? Where can we see you? Where can we meet you? What's oh, your you... address? What's your social security number? What's <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm going to dig a hole and bury myself in it. You can't reach me. You can't find, no, I'm on, I'm on, <laughs> follow me on Twitter. I like Twitter. I, I share too many things about myself and film on Twitter. I'm at, uh, at Babs Van and yes. you can find me at USA Today, I guess my job where I write things and get paid for it. But and, and I don't know how the I don't know how the COVID stuff is going, but um, you also run like a book club, right, in Phoenix? I do run a book club, which <laughs> we're doing in person so far. Nobody's gotten COVID, um, but yeah, I do. I run a book club uh, out of changing with not out of with in conjunction with Changing Hands Bookstore uh, at their Phoenix, Arizona location. We generally meet the fourth Wednesday of every month to discuss a recently published work of literary fiction or nonfiction. Yeah. So any Phoenix listeners out there, give it a shot. I mean, at the very least, uh, Barbara always wears cute outfits because she always posts a picture in the bathroom at Changing Hands. They've got a great mirror. They have a fantastic mirror because you're always just like, hey, look at this outfit. And I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyways, that's for the local folks here in Phoenix. Um, all right. So and, and re- in regards to me and Don, follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit and on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast. Also find us both on Letterboxd. Barbara, are you on Letterboxd? I am on Letterboxd. Okay. Cool. Oh, that's there as well. Okay, perfect, perfect. Got it. So I want to thank all of you for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes, where we probably did not help the fresh or rotten score on this movie, but maybe Mm. if we rewatch it and go back, I don't think it'll change, but we're going to give it a shot. If you enjoyed the show, we have more where that came from with interesting hosts. That's us. We always say we're interesting. And wonderful guests. Hey, we gave you a good one today. And I got to see uh, Don and Barbara go at it. And it was wonderful. It was like watching. <laughs> it's like, like th- I don't know what to, what to say. All available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite shows. <laughs>